Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She served me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. 
I love how everything merges together. I love it. I love how history merges together. We've been talking pretty much all week about Columbus this and Columbus that and Spain and Europe and all these things. And we never really dug into why were the Europeans suddenly so keen on finding new lands elsewhere on exploring the rest of the world? Now, you can say, and it would be partially true, well, I mean, it's just the nature of man. We've, we've got to go see what, has, what hasn't been seen and conquer what hasn't been conquered. And yeah, that's, that's partially true. But why that way? Why are you going to Africa? Why are you going over to India, east, and then eventually west, as we talked about with Columbus? Why there? I mean, there's another direction, right? You are Europe. I don't know if you know this. There's another direction. It's called east. Why all this Europe talk? Well, it's because the east was occupied. Occupied by an underrated historical empire, the Ottomans. Ottomans really officially began, they think, around 1300, 14th, 15th, 16th century, though. That's when they were giants, and there was a time when the Ottoman Empire was probably the most powerful empire on earth. And when I say probably, this is what I mean. Pretty much whenever we're discussing an empire of any kind, having this long period of success as we had a million times, we should always really say probably the biggest, probably the most powerful, probably the richest. And the reason we always have to throw probably in there is China. China was very, very, very isolated from the areas we're talking about for most of its history. But China is one of those funny places. They've had obviously ups and downs, but they've had mega powerful dynasties and empires for ever. <laughs> I mean, forever. You name it, they're there. Now, the Ottomans, though. Part of the reason, really the main reason, we don't talk as much about the Ottomans as others, is the Muslim thing, which I find to be really odd, I guess I should say. I find it to be odd because that doesn't stop us from talking about all kinds of other non-Christian empires, right? I mean, what's the, I mean, it's not as if it's some implicit Christian bias. How much time do we spend on all the others, the Romans and the Greeks? And the, I mean, the Achaemenid Persians weren't exactly worshiping Jesus. We talk about all of them, but when it comes to the Ottomans, there's always that. Nah, 
And even if it's not outright sneering, I'm not doing the, oh, poor Muslim bigotry thing. I'm not doing that. Even if it's not outright sneering, it's just we kind of forget about them as if they're not there. Um, They ruled things for a long time. And maybe, just maybe, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of saltiness gets passed down through the ages. Now, why would Europeans and the descendants of Europeans, which would be mainly us here in America, why would we be salty about the Ottoman Empire? Well, that little place called Constantinople. You would know it as the still very much in existence Istanbul today. Istanbul, Turkey, supposed to be beautiful, I should say. Absolutely gorgeous. Turkey itself is supposed to be a really cool place. It violates some of my international travel rules, so I don't know that I'll ever visit, but I kind of want to just because there's so much cool history there. But Istanbul, before it was Istanbul, was Constantinople. And what is, what was Constantinople? It was the empire, the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire when the Roman Empire split. You remember, we've talked about this a hundred times. At some point, when Rome really began its decline... They split up. Sound familiar? Anybody been suggesting that recently? Anyway, I'm not going to go into that right now. When Rome began its decline, they split up into the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. And don't get me wrong. They each had plenty of problems, but the West had many, many, many more problems, more powerful barbarians at its doors. It just was not going to make it. It was never going to make it. And one of the main problems they had was economically, they just they just weren't they weren't up to snuff. But the Eastern Roman Empire, they were making it. Remember, they eventually turned into the Byzantine Empire. But if you asked the Byzantines who they were, none of them would have said, oh, we're the Byzantines. They would have said, we're Romans. And they created this incredible capital and then named it after Constantine the Great, and they called it Constantinople. Now, I want you to, in order to get a better idea of what we're talking about today, if you're in a position that's safe to do so, I want you to open up a map of Istanbul. Now, don't wait right now. It's going to be helpful to our story. Do that thing on your phone or your computer where you zoom out and you're essentially looking at all of Europe and Asia. And then zoom in to where Istanbul is on the center. Do I even have to explain to you why that would be a really, really, really important place? Yeah, Chris just said, talk about a chokehold. Yeah, look at that. In case you're not, 
looking at your map or can't do so safely. Let me just give you the brief picture here. You have Africa, right? And you have Eastern Africa. And then what's what's directly north of that? The Mediterranean Sea. And north of the Mediterranean Sea, as you know, you have Italy, Greece, Bulgaria, so on and so forth. Well, there's a body of water on the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea. There's a little land and then a body of water called the Black Sea. The Black Sea is bordering Ukraine, Russia, Georgia, Turkey today. It's like the entire northern border of Turkey today. Only there's this funny thing. There's this wee little, almost on your map looks like a creek. It's not a creek, but almost looks like a creek connecting the Mediterranean Sea and the Black Sea. And there you will find the gigantic city of Istanbul sitting right on the mouth of that creek. In an era where trade routes by sea and land are everything, how mega powerful would you be if you controlled that exact area? You wouldn't need a big industry at all. Just tax everyone else's. Hang on. HomeTitleLock.com While I'm speaking to you, go there. Go there right now and register your address to see if you're already a victim of home title theft. Do you know what I'm looking at right now? I am looking, as we speak, I have it in my hands, a copy of my home title with my signature and my wife's signature on it saying we sold it so someone can take a loan out against it, a loan that we would have to pay back because we didn't sell it. That's real. It's in my hands. It can happen to you too. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now and sign up. At least register to see if you're already a victim. While you're there, use the code JESSE. That gets you 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com, promo code JESSE. Go there. Go there now. Jesse Kelly returns next. Eastern Roman Empire really lucked out with this whole Constantinople thing. And life was good for a long time. Remember, they considered themselves Romans. But then two things happened. Two things. One, they begin to decline too. And people struggle with this concept of national decline. Especially, I mean, look, we're dealing with it right now. Let's be honest. We're, we're in the middle of it right now. I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm the Oracle, but I, I can't see the future. I don't know that we're 
Oh, we'll be gone in 10 years. I, that's probably ridiculous. I, I can't say that. Even if we're gone in 100, though, we know we're somewhere on our decline as a nation. And people struggle with explaining why, explaining how. And they struggle with that because there's not always an obvious reason laid out. Why would the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantines, why would they ever begin to falter or collapse? Remember, we just pointed out where the city is. It's not as if it stopped being a trade route at some point in time. There are always a laundry list of reasons for major, major, major powerful empires to rot away, but they're almost universally internal. And the same thing happened to them. They just, a little political corruption here, a little scandal there, a little war you couldn't afford, and then maybe a second, a bad ruler or two, And soon, your mega-powerful empire, it's still there. People still fear it. But you've got a problem. And that problem is this. Your painted rust by now. And that's okay. You can survive like that for a long time. Unless somebody who's not painted rust, unless somebody who's strong and ambitious, unless they happen to lay their eyes on you and realize your painted rust, then you're in a bit of a pickle. And that's the second thing that got Constantinople. You see, it was this shining jewel. Part of the reason people were so salty about what's going to happen In my opinion, I think that's what they are salty about it, is it was the jewel of Christianity. Mega, mega church. It was, it was, I mean, I don't want to call it the center of Christianity, but it was one of them. It was a big deal. And then you have these people who Christians were aware of but didn't necessarily consider them a gigantic threat before this time called Muslims coming from the East. And the Christians, their hands were not clean, or the Christian world, their hands were not clean as far as conflict between the two groups, and the Muslim hands certainly weren't clean either. They were already killing each other in a minor way here, minor way there. I say minor because it wasn't me having a spear shoved into my guts. But you know what I mean, on a grander scale, minor. But they weren't considered to be necessarily a challenge to Christian Europe at first. However, the Muslims, especially in this day and age... They had some big, big, big advantages, more than they do today, in my opinion. I know that's going to be horribly insulting. Guess what? I don't care. Muslims in this day and age were, one, extremely organized, extremely clean when it comes to sanitation, extremely interested in things like science and technology. 
astrology, the study of nature, engineering. Their religion helped them organize into building some of the greatest cities and doing some of the greatest scientific advancements the world had seen by that point in time. Now, if you're a Christian and you're yelling at me right now, stow that. I'm a Christian. That's reality. It helps people to organize around something. Even if you don't believe in what Muslims believe, I don't. You can acknowledge the incredible things that happened. And they were building something quickly. And what it helped do was bring barbarian tribes. Not sure if that's the way we ever want to put that. Not that I'm worried about offending anybody, but... Uh, we, we call barbarians, we call them barbarians just because they're smaller. I have a city of 500,000 people. We still poop in jars. Oh, that barbarian tribe of 1,000 people? Pfft. Totally uncivilized scum. It's just they're smaller lots of the time. But they helped bring unorganized people around a centralized order of organization. And... An Ottoman Empire rose from these newfound tribes, organizations. And they rose in the East. And all of Christendom began to become aware of these people. Conflict was there, but not humongous conflict until a man named Mehmed II came along. Maybe you haven't heard of him Maybe you've heard of his nickname, though, Mehmed the Conqueror. He didn't get that name because he stuck to the tribal lands. Mehmed the Conqueror, by now, has taken the reins of a very, very organized, very technologically advanced Ottoman Empire. And he sets his sights on that jewel of the world, Constantinople or Istanbul. Now, it's not as if nobody had ever tried it before. Remember our show on Attila? I mean, people have tried to take Constantinople before, but on top of being an incredible city for trade reasons, imagine looking at your map or thinking about your map again. Imagine getting to defend that place if you could build walls and such around it. Look at it. You're almost surrounded by water on three sides. I mean, not almost, you are. If they have to come at you from either one land route or the water, how much easier does does that make your life? It was very, very, very easy to defend, especially if you had the resources to build up everything you needed. The Ottomans knew this. Ottomans were very capable in battle, but they knew this. Now, at this time in Constantinople, there was an engineer, a weapons engineer. And he had developed a cannon. I know what you're going to say. They had cannons already. Kind of, they did. Not cannons like this. And he approaches the ruler in Constantinople and says, Yo, I have this sweet Cannon design, you should pay me for it, then you'll have a sweet cannon too. And one of the all-time blunders 
which is 2020 hindsight. How could he know? And one of the all-time blunders, the ruler of Constantinople says, nah, not really a market for that. Things are kind of rotting here. We don't have a ton of money. We're not doing that. Engineer hops on a boat, probably a horse or two, rides on over to the Ottoman Empire and says, yo, I'm an engineer. I have this sweet weapon. Would you like it? Mehmed II takes a look at it and says, yes. Yes, I would. Another great night's sleep. And I had one the night before that, and the night before that, and the night before that, and I don't have to... I don't have to stress about tonight. And I know what you go through. I know what it's like to stress about tonight. Oh, so tired. I didn't sleep. I really hope I sleep tonight. I need a good night's sleep. You don't have to do that anymore. Ebb Sleep has your solution, and it's not sleeping pills. It's not a pillow. It's a wearable device that actually targets the root cause of why you're not sleeping. Those thoughts that race through your head, I know, I've been there. You can't turn them off. Ebb sleep can, calms them down. You drift off to sleep and get great natural sleep every night. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. Mehmed II says, yes, sir, I like your cannon. I think you should come work for me. He takes that cannon and he begins his assault, well, on Christian Europe. And he eventually has that cannon, more than one of them actually, outside of Constantinople and Constantinople Falls. To the Ottomans. Why do you think it's Istanbul today? I believe that is part of the reason the Ottoman Empire doesn't get the love here that it probably warrants. This was not a fall of a city. This was, in the eyes of Christians back then, the taking of a symbol of Christianity. They were big on Christian symbolism back then. Huge on it. And I guess maybe every religion is. Maybe that's unfair. You could argue Christianity might still be. Judaism, Islam, they all have symbols of some kind. What's Christianity? It's the cross, right? Everybody knows it. But uh, it went beyond that back then. It was this holy church and this there and this had this here and this had this there and this has the nails that nailed Jesus to the cross and this is a you know, it's it, it was big on that the fall of Constantinople was a big deal a big deal and I think that contributed to some of the bitterness 
Now let's move forward just a little bit past Mehmed II. He had a son. And then he had a son. Let's dwell on the sons for a moment. Not these sons specifically, even though we're going to talk about one of them specifically here in a moment. The Ottoman way of handling succession. Succession, Chris. It's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, by the way. 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. You can ask me your questions. Chris has already printed off my emailed questions, which I will answer in a second. Or you can call in with any question. Remember, your questions don't have to be political. Now, succession in the Ottoman Empire was a messy bit of business. And they did things differently there. I don't necessarily think they did things poorly when it comes to getting the next generation ready. But it was certainly different. Certainly different. You see a king, or in this case, they would have called him a sultan or a sultan, depending on where you went to college. A sultan had a harem. Now, don't worry. You know this show is kid-appropriate. You think of the word harem, and what do you think of? A bunch of women exist in an area, palace, house, whatever, to... Make the king's day a little better from time to time. That's kind of fair when we're talking about a harem in the Ottoman Empire, but kind of not at all. The harem in the Ottoman Empire was much, 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 much more than that. Yes, it was a place where the king's concubines and wives would stay It was also a place of education. You can essentially think of it as a university system. And as far as the lives of the women who live there go, if you have to, I I I can't even imagine how horrible this would be, but if you have to be captured as a slave and taken in as a slavery into a harem, you could do worse than being taken to an Ottoman, Ottoman one. I'll put it that way. You see, the Ottomans, they didn't really want sons from the wives. They wanted sons from the concubines. The next king would be the son of a concubine from the harem. Not only that, once she gave him a son, the king would never join with her again. And remember when I told you this, you you can find a lot of stories where women are sold into subjugation that end up a lot worse than this. If you're taken in as a slave, and almost all these girls started out as slaves, Christian slaves, as the Ottoman Empire was fighting Christian empires, they're taken in, you're taken in as a slave, the king decides he enjoys you, takes you in as a concubine, you give him a son, You are moving on up in the world, and I mean big time. You are not laying around shackled. You are fed well, housed well. As I said, the king never lays another finger on you. 
You are, in fact, in charge of educating and training his son. The king was fairly hands-off when it came to raising and educating his son. And when I say educating, you're not sitting down with your son and teaching him two plus two. You're doing that, but you're teaching him languages, lots of them. You're taking him for advanced military training. And when he's at an age, oftentimes a way too young age, but when he's at an appropriate age, you will take him off to be a governor. What does that mean? It means you're essentially a governor and were thought highly of and not looked down upon. And when I say at a young age, I'm talking boys as young as 10 would quote-unquote complete their training and be sent off to be a governor of one of the territories. I loved how the Ottomans did this. Maybe 10 is probably a little too young, but I loved how the Ottomans did this. They did this purposefully. You are a member of the royal family. You are a potential heir to the throne. I need you educated on running an empire. I can't get you the appropriate education having you running around the palace at my feet all the time. Go fly, little birdie. You're now the governor of X. Learn how to administrate. Learn how to raise taxes. Learn how to lead armies. Learn how to run an empire. It was, in my opinion, one of the finest training programs of the next heir of empires I've ever seen in my life. That's the good part of it. There are bad parts, however, as you could imagine, with that kind of system, cranking out kids with different concubines, having different wives, religion or no, cultural system or no, that's going to create a system of jealousy, drama, and backstabbing. Who doesn't want to be the mother of the next king? Especially when you consider what happens to the people who don't make the top job. Ottomans have a serious succession problem and that brothers, they're essentially half-brothers because remember when a concubine gives the king a son, he doesn't go to her ever again. So in this case, we're going to talk about a man named Selim. He was Mehmed II, Mehmed the Conqueror's grandson. His father was the sultan. Salim's father was the sultan, Mehmed II's son. You're going to have brothers, cousins, nephews, so on and so forth, only they're not necessarily brothers. You remember that harem that I told you about, which is essentially a university? You're going to get to know your brothers, half-brothers, somewhat in this scenario, but you are very much raised as an individual. There's none of this, no hitting your brother. You hardly see your brother. And there's a very good chance you're going to kill your brother one day. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. I 
like the American flag, and I want it flying everywhere. I know you like it too, but for me, it's a little bit more. I hope it is for you too. It's important for the future of our country. If you were to ask me the one thing I think we're missing most of all right now in this country, I would probably tell you patriotism. It seems like so many Americans don't like America, and we can't continue like that. I love the mission of Atlantic Flag and Pole. It's a small family business, just a bunch of patriots out there with the goal of putting an American flag in every single yard, an American-made flag with American aluminum in the flagpole. Go to AtlanticFlagpole.com. That's AtlanticFlagpole.com. Don't forget to enter the discount code JESSE when you get there. 10% off your American-made flagpole. It was tough if you weren't the one who made it to the top in the Ottoman Empire. Backstabbing, coups, deposing of the sultans, this was something that happened. You went from Mehmed the Conqueror to the next guy. The next guy was... Peaceful is probably not the best way to put it. He wasn't peaceful, but much more peaceful than Mehmed. A bureaucrat. He wanted things quiet. The empire had expanded under Mehmed II, and he wanted things relatively quiet. Only he had a son named Selene. It was his fourth son, actually. It was pretty typical for the oldest son to be the one who was going to be sultan, but as you're about to find out, sometimes it didn't work out that way. Selene is a fierce child. Remember, his mother was a slave, a Christian slave. I'm sure she probably was forced to convert, but a Christian slave in the harem. She takes over his education. She takes over his training. He is a fierce young man, to put it mildly. He's one of those people from an early age, always in a fight with somebody. He lives for it. It's what he did. I don't think I want to call him quarrelsome, but the dude was just always down for the struggle. Now, father does something with this son. You remember, he has to go be a governor, right? You have to train this boy. Well, there's always a political game to be played when it came to your sons and governors and nobles and things like that. This is always the case. And there really is no substitute for proximity when it comes to power. Physical proximity. It's no different today either. What I mean by that is you are the head of the Ottoman Empire, and you've got all your sons, you're going to take the son you want to succeed you, and you're going to put him at the closest 
place you can possibly find and make him governor there. He's going to be plenty close enough. He's a he's a day's ride away. He's going to ride back and forth to the palace because he's going to need to be making friends with your friends and making connections. And this important king is visiting and this important queen is visiting. Son, you're right there. Come have a come have dinner with us tonight. That's what you do with your favorite. What you do with the one you're scared of or your least favorite? Well, you do what this dad did to Salim. You send him to the freaking hinterlands. You remember that map of Istanbul? They sent Salim to the eastern side of the Black Sea, which was the wilderness back then. And now we're going to get to the part of the story where it really depends on who you believe as far as how he conducted himself in this part of the empire. Remember I said dad is peaceful, wants things relatively peaceful. He's a bureaucrat, little taxation here, little rule here, little regulation there. Yeah, you got to put down a tiny rebellion or two, but that's life. No big deal. You think you've solved a problem if you're the father. You take your fierce son, and also he's the fourth son, so he's clearly not going to be Sultan. And man, he loves to fight. Let's put him out in the wilderness with the wilder tribes. And you think, man, dodge that bullet. We put him on ice. But what if he thrives there? What if... You putting him around people he can call enemies? What if that's perfect for him? You see, Salim gets there, and Salim sees these tribes, some under Ottoman rule completely, some not under Ottoman rule at all, many kind of doing the half-and-half thing, not really under Ottoman rule. They'll send some troops, though, if the Ottomans want them, or if they won't send troops, they're going to at least trade or allow trade through there. We're not part of you, but yeah, I mean, you you can bring the camels through, whatever, that's fine. So there's a relationship already there between these tribes and the Ottoman Empire, only these tribes, many of them are still wild and barbaric. And they still do raids on things, raids on Ottomans. Only young Salim is in charge now, 17 years old, highly educated, trained in the ways of war. And Salim, he don't put up with that crap. So Salim takes these men his father wants to be friends with, and he starts killing them. And he starts raiding their villages and kidnapping their people. He starts running things and getting the area under control. Dad has a problem with that. Then the son has a problem with dad having a problem with that. You need a gold IRA. It is time for you to have a gold IRA. There's too much financial uncertainty out there. 
And maybe that's not even the right word. Maybe I need to use a different word because there's actually financial certainty. We know for a fact we are going to have a market correction, period, end of story, because history tells us so. We don't know when it'll be. It could be tonight, could be a month from now, could be next year, but this market is going to correct. When this market corrects, if you have all your money in stocks and bonds, you're going to get wiped out. Get a gold IRA from Gold Alliance so you can diversify. It's a five-star, A-plus rated company. They know what they're doing. They'll take care of you. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. Go there now. You get up to $5,000 in free gold and silver coins. Salim, he has a little son as well. His son's name is Suleiman, will one day be known as Suleiman the Magnificent. Salim takes a little drive with his son. Obviously not in a car. We're doing the historical version of a little drive. Drops his son off. Train well, son. I'll see you again someday turns around and he doesn't ride back to where he's governor. Salim's had about enough of his dad scolding him about conquering and pushing people around. Salim turns around and marches towards Constantinople. Salim is coming for dad. Parks an army outside of the capital walls. Asks for a meeting with his father. Father grants him a meeting, and Salim says, I think I'm going to take over now. Dad laughs at him. Not a good idea. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Dad really should have just walked away because Salim turned around and took it from him. Deposed his father. And interestingly enough, did not kill his father, although his father died not long after this, but did turn around promptly and murder all of his brothers. (laughs) Again, you didn't want to be the odd man out. That game of musical chairs, brutal. Now, Salim went on to do eight years of conquering. Eight years. 
His son Suleiman was scared to death of him, hated him. He was an evil human being. But we're simply going to end the story here because I'm going to pick it up next week at some point. Probably not going to be Monday. I don't want to do a habit of the two-part episodes. But understand this. At this point, under Salim and then his son Suleiman the Magnificent, the Ottoman Empire reached a level previously unheard of for any Muslim empire at the time. They reached the highest heights, and Christian Europe was scared to death of them. And it's part of the reason you have a United States of America today. It's part of the reason. We were pushed, the Europeans, I should say, were pushed this direction. Now, that pushing is painful, isn't it? When I say pushed, let's understand what that means. We're talking the sacking of cities. Death, famine, ugliness. That's what I mean by being pushed. But oftentimes, at the end of hard things, personally, Business-wise, career, you know, as a, as a nation, oftentimes at the end of really hard things, you'll find something better, right? Right? Now, it's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday, but much, much, much more importantly than that, it's the anniversary of 9-11. We all know what happened on that day. The first Ask Dr. Jesse question I had on my desk this morning was, where were you on 9-11? I'll tell you that story in a second. But let's take a minute and figure this out. What happened? Why it happened? We're not going to go into all the details of 9-11, but just know this. When you're the big boy on the block, you have enemies everywhere, all the time. All the time. And that's okay. You can't possibly be the big boy on the block without making enemies. What's important for you, and it is important is to show people there's a price to pay for hitting us. And while I think we've made 10,000 mistakes in our war on terror, how many have there been like that since? Oh, we've had them, and we'll have them again. We haven't solved the problem, but we did show the world Probably not a good idea to try that. If you try that, we're probably going to kill you. We're probably going to defund you. We're probably going to hunt you down everywhere. And I just want you to know this. You don't see it all the time because it doesn't get headlines. And a lot of that stuff is secret, what they do. But terrorists for almost 20 years now around the globe 
They've been petrified, running, hiding, staring at the sky, trying to find drones because they know how many of their friends have been incinerated. Listening at night in case the Delta Force boys are about to come knocking on the front door to take them away permanently. Understand this. We did okay. We made mistakes. Nations make mistakes. We did okay. We did get our revenge. As far as as far as where I was, here's where I was. I was not one of these people who joined the Marine Corps after 9-11. I was already in the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps. We were stationed in 29 Palms. We were doing PT. PT is just physical training. It's exercise. It's exactly what you picture in the movies, only it can be a lot more miserable than that sometimes, depending on how sadistic they want to get. But in general, as a group, UPT, when I say as a group, that sounds general because it is. Sometimes your squad will go out. You'll do squad PT. That's just roughly 10 guys, all right? Sometimes your platoon will go out. That's 30 guys. Sometimes your company, that's 100. Sometimes your battalion, that's 1,000. We were out doing PT that morning. Just running, push-ups, sit-ups, that kind of thing. We get back to the barracks, and we're finished, and we're out there stretching. You generally, generally did a really good stretch when the, thing, when the thing was done. Finished stretching, and we're milling about, getting a plan for the day, and word comes down, get up to your barracks room now. It's a very, it was very odd. In the Marine Corps, everything is laid out for you, oftentimes days in advance. You know we have this at this time and this at that time and this at this time. You don't generally have an impromptu, get up to your room. So it was very odd. And we book it up to the room and we all crowd in a couple rooms because they say turn on the news. And we turned on the news and one of the towers was sitting there with a big hole in it smoking. And we're listening and they said a plane flew into it. Now you have to remember At first, we didn't know what was going on. We had no idea. I thought it was some idiot. In fact, I said it out loud. What idiot flew into the World Trade Center? Was the pilot drunk? Was it a suicide? What? What? What idiot did that? And then we watched live. As the second plane flew into the towers and we were, we were angry, but not, not outraged yet. There were our two towers. Remember at first there were just two towers and they just each had holes in them. So it was a terrorist attack. We were mad. We were sure some people had died, but not the end of the world and not necessarily unheard of. A terrorist attack on an airline. Okay, I'm sure they probably got a couple people in the building too. But again, not, not the end of the world. But we're still watching. And then we watched as one of them fell. 
And that was jaw-dropping. And then the second one fell. It was like something, it was like something out of a movie. It's what it's what it seemed like. It was like something out of a movie. It doesn't seem real. How could it be real? But it was. Hang on. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet. Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one, get two, be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.